Hear the word of the Lord. This comes from the book of Romans 15, verses 8 through 13. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to conform, confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol you, extol him. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Southside. Before we pray, I wanted to mention a couple things. I want to reiterate what Nathan said. Happy Father's Day to the dads in here. Uh, increasingly, I'm convinced of the uh, importance of fatherhood. In fact, I think in, in many ways, it's my opinion, and a case can be made that one of the, the root problems with what we see going on in our country is that of fatherlessness. So dads, uh, be intentional. That window you have is short in terms of formation. You always have influence, so wield it well for the glory of God. I also wanted to give a couple announcements from some families in our church uh, that have moved away during this pandemic. So while we weren't meeting, uh, two of them I want to mention are both in San Antonio now. So one is the Englands, you know, Keith and Joni, they have moved to San Antonio for his work, but also the O'Shield. So Jarrett and Natalie O'Shields also moved because Jarrett got a pretty sweet job that is tied with a lot of opportunities for ministry that he's been wrestling with over the years. So excited for them, but the O'Shields... We're going to have a baby soon. In fact, Ashley and some other ladies had prepared a, uh, a shower for her on Thursday, but she ended up going to labor on Thursday. So that was a couple of weeks early. He's still in the NICU. His name's JJ. And I want us to pray for him this morning. And I'd ask you to pray that he would recover well, progress well. They would love for him to be able to go home today. That way they don't have to deal with not being able to be there with him. So uh, if you know them, reach out. And uh, certainly if you don't, either way, pray for them. So let's do that now. God, we're thankful for the Englands and pray that they would transition well and find a solid church family where they're at. And we pray for the O'Shields as well for that same grace. And as they don't have that, a strong spiritual family currently, and they're in the midst of this trial, would you give them special grace to, to trust in you? Would you be near to them as they go through this ordeal? And we're thankful that JJ's made some progress, but we ask that he'd make a lot more. Even this hour, would you strengthen him? Would you strengthen his lungs? And we would love for him to be able to go home today. Uh, so we ask that you would be kind to them in that way. Thank you for life. And God, we pray for the fathers here. We're so thankful. I'm so thankful to think of the many godly fathers. And I pray that we would wield our influence well, and we would not check out and we would not drift, but we would be engaged for the hearts of our children so that they might love and trust and know you. So help us to do that well at Southside. And God, as we turn to your word, we pray that you give us alert minds, attentive hearts, receptive hearts, and would we be challenged, would we be informed, would we be instructed, and will we leave here different? We pray for the sake of King Jesus. Amen. 
Amen. Well, we've got a lot of biblical ground to cover this morning. Seems like that's been the case in most of Romans for the last year and a half. So let's get there. Meet me in Romans 15, where we're going to see in a lot of ways a climax to what he's been saying so far in the letter. There's a lot of themes that have come to what he's going to say now that we'll see as he kind of ties it together here towards the end of the letter. And if you've been here in Romans 14, he's talked about the unity of the strong and the weak over various issues. And now he moves a little more generally just to the unity of Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles are simply non-Jews. So that means anyone who's in Christ ought to be unified. And that's what we're going to see. One of the main reasons Jesus came. So we're going to ask We're going to see that Jesus came, and we're going to see why here from these verses this morning. So number one, why did he come? Look again at Romans 15, verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That's why he came. And circumcision, of course, refers to the Jewish people. When it says Christ became a servant to the circumcised, it means Christ became a servant to the Jewish people. Now, if you don't know what children, if you don't know what circumcision is, just ask your dad, and he would love to explain that later today to you. Happy Father's Day. Go ahead and write it down so you don't forget, and he'll explain it to you later. But what it was in the Bible, it was this initiation rite. So to become part of the people of God, way back in Genesis 17 with Abraham, and then repeated in the law, one of the commandments was that the people of God needed to circumcise their eight-day-year-old males. It's what set them apart. It was this initiation rite showing their devotion to God. So that's what he means. He, He became a servant to the circumcised. He became a servant to the Jewish people. How? How did he become a servant? Well, fundamentally through his suffering and his death and his resurrection. And if for Bible people, when you think of Jesus and you hear the word servant, something ought to come to mind. Specific chapter ought to come to mind. And that is Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah towards the end has all these songs of the servants. And Isaiah 53, you ought to know if you don't know it. And I want to read a few verses from there. Isaiah 53 verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Then verse 12, the last verse of that chapter. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Beautiful chapter. Written some 800 years before Jesus came, yet doesn't it sound like it was written right beneath the cross of Golgotha? Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah who comes and gives his life as a ransom for many. He became a servant to the circumcised. Then Paul gives two reasons, two purposes for why he came. Number one, he came to confirm the promises of God. And number two, he came that the Gentiles might glorify God. Look again at Romans 15, 8. 
For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised in order to show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. What promises? What are those promises? Jesus came, we ought to know what they are. Who are the patriarchs? Well, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And so what are those promises? Let's, let's do a stroll through the Bible here. Flip with me to Genesis chapter 12. First book of the Bible, if you're new to the Bible. And let's see what these promises are that Jesus came to fulfill. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. First patriarch, of course, Abram. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice the twofold agenda right there. God's going to bless Abram and his family, but that's not the end of the game. There's a so that. They're blessed in order to be a blessing to who? All the families of the earth. Let's see some more. Flip over to Genesis chapter 15, verse 5. Still talking to Abram, he brings him out, brings him outside, and he says, God says to him, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Flip the page, look at Genesis 17, still talking to Abram, verse 6. God tells him, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Isn't that incredible? This is way back in Genesis, right? And God's promising to Abraham, not only will he have be a great nation and nations will come for him, but even a king will be one of the descendants of Abraham. Just flip the page, look at Genesis 18, verse 18. seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Flip over now to Isaac, Genesis chapter 26, verse 3. What are these promises to the patriarchs that Jesus came to fulfill and to confirm? Genesis 26, 3 to Isaac, I will be with you and will bless you for to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father, and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands and in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Same promises now to Isaac. Let's flip over to chapter 28, verse 14. Now to Jacob. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you, your offspring, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Look over at chapter 32, verse 12. We're almost done. Again, to Jacob, you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And then look over at Genesis chapter 35, verse 11. Genesis 
I'd love to hear the Bible pages flipping in this room. God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply a nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come from your own body. And so if we're reading the Bible, what ought we be expecting here? Reading Genesis, we can go on through the whole Old Testament, but what should be the expectation? There's going to come a royal offspring of Abraham at some point through whom the whole world will be blessed. Let me read from Galatians chapter 3. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And notice the reflection Paul has here on these promises. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Who is the offspring of Abraham? At the end of the day, it funnels down to one, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He is the singular offspring of Abraham. He is the one through whom God keeps his promises to the patriarchs. In fact, he's the one through whom God keeps all his promises. 2 Corinthians 1.20. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That's why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. So first, Jesus became a suffering servant to confirm God's promises. Second, Jesus became a servant to the Jews so that the Gentiles might glorify God. And we're already seeing that these are connected, right? God's blessing the Jews for the sake of the Gentiles. Look at Romans 15, 9. Jesus came in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Again, Gentiles are just non-Jews. It's the rest of the world. And as Gentiles, non-Jews come in, they have their sins forgiven. They are included in the family of Abraham. What's their response? Well, they honor God. They praise God. And that's what God wants. God cares about his glory. We could ask the question, why does God? And fill in the blank with pretty much anything. And the answer can be truthfully answered with, for his glory. That's why God does all that he does. He desires a people of praise. It's why he saved us. It's why we exist. Fundamentally, all of us do a lot of different things. At root, you know what we're called to do? Honor God with everything we do. Glorify him. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So that's why God sent Jesus. This is what Christmas is about. This is the purpose. To be a servant to the Jewish people so that through them, through their Messiah, he might save the whole world, all who trust in him from any nation. That's what happened to us. That was the point. The God of Israel is the God of the whole world, the one true God. The Messiah became a servant to the Jewish people in order that the Gentiles, that is us non-Jews, might glorify God. So notice Israel was never to be an end in itself. Friends, the church is also never to be an end in itself. From the very beginning, God's plan was to save a so that people. Saw that in Genesis 12. Blessed so that you will then be a blessing to others. I'm going to take you, Abraham. I'm going to, even though you're old and infertile, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have a multitude of children. A king's going to come out of there. You're going to become a nation at some point. Well, what happens? What's the capital S story of Scripture show us? Well, that's exactly what happens. They multiply. Come to Exodus. God frees his people, and then what does he make them? A nation. 
just like he promised Abraham he would do. And then what does he say that nation is to be? This is Exodus 19. Just freedom from Egypt. What are you to be about? Well, you're going to be my special possession. You're going to be a, a holy nation, but you're also going to be a kingdom of priests. The whole nation. Well, what do priests do in the Bible? They mediate between God and man. So again, the whole purpose of Israel's existence was the Gentiles. They were to be a kingdom of priests who knew the one true God and were to draw them in by their countercultural lifestyle. And unfortunately, we know they failed, didn't they? They weren't, they weren't countercultural at all. In fact, they just kind of fit into the culture wherever they were. And so they were mostly idolaters. But God wasn't going to write them off. God wasn't done because God wants to save all nations. And so what does he promise? I'm going to come to Israel. I'm going to send a suffering servant. And he's going to restore his people. And in Isaiah 49, I wish we had time to go there. Isaiah 49, he speaks of this servant who's going to come and restore and save his people. And he says, it's too light a thing for you just to save Israel. Rather, I'm going to make you a light to the nations. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to forgive you. And you will become a light to the nations. That was the purpose of Israel all along, extending God's salvation to the end of the earth, to the Gentiles. And so Israel's story comes to this climax in the Messiah, this servant king, and then it opens right back up to include Gentiles. So comes all the way down, funnels down to Jesus, the Messiah, and then Jesus, Messiah, opens up to any who would, all, who would trust in him, anybody, not just the Jewish people. Listen to the way the Gospel of John puts it. John 1.11. Jesus came to his own people, Israel, and his, his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood. It's not salvation by birth, not ethnicity, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so now all, not just the Jewish people, I think we lose that. For a long, long, long time, if you were not Jewish, you were not saved. You had no access to salvation for the vast majority of the old covenants. But now, anyone who believes in Jesus can become a child of God. And I don't think that we Gentiles, most of us in this room are Gentiles, I don't think we appreciate this nearly enough. I think we just kind of have an entitled mindset. Well, yeah, of course, Jesus is my Savior. Of course, God loves me. Why wouldn't he? What's not, what's not to love? It's lost on us that we're Gentiles sitting here with our sins forgiven by a Jewish Messiah. That ought to blow our socks off. The gospel came, started in Jerusalem, and missionaries got the gospel out now that it's opened up to any who believe. And the gospel came, and God grabbed you, a pagan, a stranger to the promise, a foreigner, by grace, and saved you. When Abraham was counting those stars, if you're a Christian, he was counting you. We deserve to remain in darkness, but God sent Jesus so that we might praise him and praise him for his mercy. His mercy is not getting what we deserve. 
And this has always been his plan, right? Started in Genesis 12. God's plan has been to purchase a people of praise for his glory, a new humanity consisting of all ethnicities united by the common confession, Jesus Christ is Lord. I just want to show you, I want you to see this. It's a huge theme in the New Testament. We've seen it a lot in the book of Romans. Flip back to Romans chapter 4. Verse 9. Romans 4, 1 to 8, he's just talking about the gospel. He's talking about the blessing of justification by faith, the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of a right standing with God. And then look at verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised Jewish people or also for the uncircumcised Gentiles? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Then skim down to verse 16. Romans 4 That's why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, the Jewish person, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The kids sing it, right? Father Abraham had many sons. I am one of them, and so are you. Let's praise the Lord. If you've trusted in Christ, you are the offspring of Abraham. Unity in Christ. I want to show you a couple of the times. Look, so we're in Romans. Flip over 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Go to Galatians chapter 3. The unity of Jews and Gentiles in Christ. We already saw in Galatians 3.16 that Jesus is the singular offspring of Abraham. He funnels it down to him. But then remember, then he opens it back up to anyone who find themselves in him. So look at Galatians 3:26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Again, we just read that and we yawn, but this was revolutionary in the 1st century. In this community There's neither Jew nor Greek, doesn't matter. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. It all comes down to Christ. And if you are Christ, if you're a Christian, you are now an offspring of Abraham. You are an heir of the promise. All who trust in Christ now are the offspring of Abraham because he's the singular offspring of Abraham. So we're in Galatians. Flip with me to Ephesians. Next book. Let's ask, what's God's plan? What is God's plan in history? Ephesians 1 is going to tell us. Ephesians 1, look at the end of verse 8. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, what's God's will, according to his purpose, what's the purpose of God, which he set forth in Christ as a plan, what's the plan? It's for the fullness of time, here it is, to unite All things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What is God up to in the world? He is summing up all things in Jesus Christ. And he starts right here. He starts in the church. That's what Nathan read for us in Ephesians 2.11. We Gentiles were uncircumcision. We were were 
strangers. We were separated from Christ. We were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope. But now in Christ, we've been made one. The two have become one, this new humanity around Jesus Christ through faith. That's God's plan. This church, he's showing what he's going to do with a whole cosmos as he unites heaven and earth eventually starts with us. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 8. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, this united community of Jew and Gentile around Jesus, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is what it's about. It's pretty clear, right? What God is up to, it's pretty relevant too, isn't it? You turn on the news, and at least the media would have us think that our country is extremely racially divided. Well, what does the word have to tell us? In the church, ethnicity no longer matters. In the church, there's racial unity around Jesus Christ because in Jesus, there's no Jew or non-Jew. There's no Jew There's no Greek. This is the beloved community. Here, it's different. Colossians 3.11, here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Here, our identity is not in the color of our skin, but in the state of our soul. The question we ask is not what ethnicity you are, but are you in Adam or are you in Christ? And where there is racism in the church, we're out of accord with Christ. And so in the church, there's a solution. I confess that I don't see a solution out in the world because they don't have the resources for the, for the overcoming. There's no resources there. What's required? Regeneration. That's what we've got mission to do. Preach the gospel and embody the gospel and model the gospel. And why do I say that? Is, that? is that because we don't get involved with social things? No, we do. Here's why, though, the ultimate solution has to be the gospel because what is racism? At the end of the day, using biblical categories, what is racism? At root, it's self-righteousness, right? It's, and, and, we, and all of us battle self-righteousness with various ways. We will find something that we will grab and latch onto that makes us look better or feel better and then put others down who don't qualify. That's just the default nature of the fallen human heart is we're prone to that even as believers, but certainly as non-believers. We will grab a movement or a slogan or even how much pigmentation is in our skin to try to lift ourselves up and put others down. Self-righteousness. That's why in Jesus' ministry, the problem with the Pharisees was very, it's a fine line between legalism and ethnocentrism because they're tied together. So what's the solution to self-righteousness? Gift righteousness. The gospel, that's the solution. Christ became a servant to the circumcised to confirm the promises to the patriarchs and so that the Gentiles would glorify God. Then what does Paul do? Look again at Romans 15. He does what he does all the time. That the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. 
as it is written. Now, don't turn here with me, but I want to just, I want you to feel the weights of how someone like even the Apostle Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, didn't feel like his own word was enough. Even the Apostle Paul wants us to feel what I am saying and what I am teaching is grounded in God's word as it is written. Romans 1 verse 3, his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Romans 1 verse 17, as it is written. Romans chapter 2 verse 24, 4, as it is written. Romans chapter 3 verse 4, as it is written. Romans chapter 3 verse 10, as it is written. And there he quotes like five Psalms. Romans chapter 4 verse 3, but what does the Scripture say? Romans 4 17, as it is written. Romans chapter 8 verse 36, as it is written, Romans chapter 9, verse 9. What does the promise say? Romans chapter 9, verse 13, as it is written. Romans chapter 9, verse 17, for the scripture says. Romans chapter 9, verse 25, as indeed he says in Hosea. Romans chapter 9, verse 27, and Isaiah cries out. Romans chapter 9, verse 29, as Isaiah predicted. Romans chapter 9, verse 33, as it is written. Romans chapter 10, verse 11, for the scripture says. Romans 10, verse 15, as it is written. Romans 11, verse 2, you know what the scripture says of Elijah. Romans 11, verse 8, as it is written. Romans 11, verse 26, as it is written. Romans chapter 13, he quotes the Ten Commandments. Romans 14, verse 11, for it is written. Romans 15, verse 3, as it is written. Romans 15, verse 4, the encouragement of the scriptures. Then we have our verse. Then next week in chapter 15, verse 21, he's going to say, but as it is written. I wonder if you base your thoughts and your experience on scripture like the Apostle Paul does. He can hardly get a chapter without showing us from the word of God what is true. This is to be the basis for all we do. This is to be the basis for all that we believe. This is the solid rock on which we stand. Everything else is shifting sand. And so what does he do here? Romans 15 verse 9, as it is written, and he actually quotes four different passages to make one point, that the Gentiles might praise God. This has been his purpose. So notice in Romans 15 9, as it is written, and he quotes from 2 Samuel. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Then in verse 10, he quotes from Deuteronomy 32. He had already done that in Romans 9 and Romans 11 to show that as, as God saved Gentiles, the Jews would get jealous and more of them would get saved. It's the song of Moses. He quotes it again in verse 10. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And then in verse 11, he quotes Psalm 117. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let, him, let all the peoples extol him. Verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, quotes from Isaiah 11, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. It's always been the plan. By the way, this is why we're here. That's also why we do missions. God has promised, he's guaranteed, he's gonna save people from every nation. And they will in turn praise him. This Isaiah is a significant passage. This is from Isaiah 11. Kids, you know who the root of Jesse is? It's David, right? The son of David who will arise, referring to the resurrection, he will arise to rule the Gentiles. That was the Old Testament hope. An offspring of the woman who would crush the head of the snake who would be an offspring of Abraham, 
who would bring blessing to the whole world and an offspring of David, the root of Jesse, who would have universal rule. It's the way the book of Romans starts. Romans 1.1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David, the root of Jesse. According to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection, the root of Jesse will arise from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The root of Jesse arises to rule the Gentiles. He's the hope of the nations. Paul wants to know, hey, this has always been the plan. So he quotes from all over the place. In fact, the Jews would divide the, the Old Testament into three categories. We call it the Tanakh, the Torah, the Nevim, and the Ketuvim. And he actually quotes from all three sections here. He wants us to know. He quotes from four different genres of scripture, types of scripture. So the historical writings, the, the law, the poetic writings with the Psalms, and then prophecy and Isaiah making the same points Gentiles have been included and are now to praise him. And then he closes out with this prayer wish, with these good words, this benediction in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. He refers to God as the God of hope. I think what he means is the God who gives hope. It's God who gives hope. That's why outside of Jesus Christ, the world really has no hope and really no basis for hope. Why? Because hope is a confident expectation in the promises of God. And part of what we're seeing is the point of the letter to the Romans is to show that he makes good on his promises that we might have hope. Do you doubt the Lord? Look at what he's done. Look at the promises he has made and look at the promises that he has kept. That hope should see us through. It should sustain us. But again, without all this, without the Lord, there is no hope. There's nothing beyond the grave. It's just live your best life now. Let me accumulate all the toys I can. Let me pursue pleasure. Let me try to build a reputation. And that's it. No hope beyond this life. And Paul prays for the church. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And again, there's no true joy and no lasting peace unless you believe. Joy and peace in believing. Sure, there can be temporary joy in the things of the world, but the new wears off. Thieves come in, rust, rust destroys, moths come in. And we're looking for that next thing, aren't we? Even believers get caught in this trap, this treadmill, this rat race of, if I just had that next thing, then my soul would be satisfied. That next house, that next job, the next promotion, that next relationship, that next stage in the relationship. Friends, we were made to find our joy in God. As Augustine said some 2,000 years ago, 1,700 years ago, our hearts are restless until we find our rest in the Lord. Do you have joy this morning? If not, quit settling for less. Pursue what you were made for. I love the way the prophet Jeremiah puts it in Jeremiah chapter 2. He says the heavens ought to be appalled at the fact that his people are trying to dig out cisterns for themselves when there's a fountain of living waters available. 
you're sipping muddy water when there's an oasis right behind you. Only believers can have true peace. Because really inward peace, true inward peace is only a result of having peace with God. And that only comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Objective peace is the basis for subjective peace. Do you have peace this morning? Do you have peace when you lay that head down on your pillow? If not, you can. Trust in Christ. Have your sins forgiven and live in accord with how you were made to live. That is glorifying God for his mercy. He prays, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The Spirit of God is the one who causes us to abound, to look away from ourselves and to look to Christ and his promises and to eternity. We won't get there on our own. We need the Spirit to help us. We need a helper. And Jesus died, was raised and ascended. And what did he do? He sent a helper that we might abound in. The God of hope sends his spirit that we might abound in hope. May it be so. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for being a promise maker. You didn't have to. You didn't have to do anything, but you have worked in history and you've made promises, but you didn't only make them, you've kept so many of them. Lord, may that be a basis for us to know that you will Keep the promises you made to us and you will continue to fulfill the promises you've made throughout history. God, as Gentiles, here we are, strangers to your covenants, aliens apart from Christ, yet by grace you've sent the gospel out. May we be grateful for that and may we see ourselves as blessed in order to be a blessing that the gospel may go from us to yet other Gentiles that they might glorify you for your mercy. Lord, may we find our fundamental purpose, all called to various vocations and roles, but fundamentally underneath that, Lord, may we see our lives as existing for your glory, to glorify you in whatever it is that we're called to do, that we might then have all joy, all peace, and all hope in believing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.